Today I am presenting a message that has come about due to a growing conviction on my part, part that God has been impacting upon me during the past few months and which has actually become a burden upon me over the past few weeks. And it was amazing to the different avenues, means by which God has impacted me with this. If I turn left, his message was there. If I turn right, his message was there. If I go ahead, his message was there. If I turned around, his message was there. I even went to Jamaica and his message was there. So I am compelled to speak to you about what I will be speaking today. But in order to do so, I want to put it in the context of our overall ministry. With the purpose of showing how we, and specifically me perhaps, or I, have neglected this aspect when it comes to comparing it with other aspects of our ministry. When it comes to time, effort, money, personnel. When you compare this ministry to others, we have absolutely neglected it. And I took, take full blame for that. And I ask your apologies and forgiveness. You'll see it as we go along. And this is what the Lord really convicted me of. And why I'm assured with you today. Hoping that you too might enter into the same passion now to fulfill this part of our ministry. As it has impacted me. So let's begin. Now remember, I'm only doing this to put it into context. To show you that with all of our big ideas and vision statements and all of that kinds of thing, if we don't carry it out, the statements are useless. The big words and everything else have no profit. But I need to show it to you because we were going to do this anyway because we like to on a regular basis to remind you of why we are here. A lot of people when it comes to church don't know why we're here at the church. We have meetings, we come, you have fun, we clap, we joy, you know, all that kind of stuff and go home. But that's not the purpose for the church. And I hope to refresh your minds so you will see where I am coming from and most of our leaders are coming from, not all of our leaders when it comes to ministry and why we are doing what we are doing. The layout of our meetings, how we handle things, all of them stem from a conviction uh, that comes from our understanding of the Word of God. So let's begin. Now I'm going to be reading a lot this morning, and the purpose of that is so I could move ahead, because if I stop to expound on each point, um, we'll be here for a little while. Now, I'm sure you're all familiar with the diagram you see on the screen. This is a concise overview of the philosophy of our approach to ministry and why we are doing what we are doing. Now, look at it carefully. Calvary's Bible, Church's Purpose and Mission. We're here to glorify the triune God. How do we do this? By completing the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. How do we do that? By evangelizing the lost and discipling believers toward Christ's likeness. How do we do that? By providing members with opportunities for a personal encounter with the triune God through worship, the word of God through instruction, the people of God through fellowship, and the world God loves through missions and evangelism. To glorify the triune God is our ultimate purpose. By completing the ministry of Jesus Christ is our general purpose. By evangelizing the lost and discipling believers toward Christ-likeness is our objectives. The means, providing members with opportunities for a personal encounter and so on. And so we have a purpose, the goal, the objective, and the means. The end of all of this is that the end product, what we produce here, should be true disciples of Jesus Christ. People who have grown into the likeness of Jesus Christ. If that's not happening, 
to individuals as well as groups in our churches who are failing in our ministry. That's our measurement here, not numbers, not how much money. Talking about money, you got to give a little bit more. We're getting low on the funds in here. Um, the deacons told me to say that. But this overview of our ministry has been included in the bulletin for the past at least 10 years. Some of you are aware of it and know it, but some of you are not. You just look at it and don't see it. But it's there to remind you of why we are here. Especially the area of worship. I've always said that it was one thing that I wanted to be, reminded, to be remembered for is that at least I've tried to lead our people into what it really means to worship the triune God. Now here's what I called some statements in detail to emphasize what we're doing. And this is the area that I'm going to read. We've done this before. You probably have them someplace under the table, way under the bed, that thing under there that's dusty. Pull that out. Probably the little booklet with all of this in that we gave out some time ago. Here's how we've broken it down then in the form of statements. First, the statement of our overall purpose. Look at it very carefully here. The ultimate purpose of Calvary Bible Church is to glorify God as in obedience to his word and through the illumination and enablement of his Holy Spirit, we seek to continue the redemptive ministry of his son Jesus Christ in this world. And in all of its spiritual, physical, and notice social aspects to the full extent of our potential, both notice local and worldwide. And to give evidence of our subjection to the headship of Jesus Christ through the manifestation of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our individual and corporate life. That's the overall purpose. Now here's a statement of our overall goal. The overall goal of Calvary Bible Church is to continue the ministry of Christ on earth in its threefold nature. First, to aggressively evangelize the lost with the intent of leading them to faith alone in Christ alone. And we also emphasize that this is to be done more on a one-to-one basis than in any kind of a crusade. Secondly, to consistently nurture believers to become, to nurture believers to become spiritually mature disciples so that they reflect Christ's likeness in every area of their life. Third, and so equip them that they are enabled to minister effectively both to other members of the body of Christ so as to affect the qualitative growth of the body and to the world of unbelievers, both at home and abroad, so as to affect the quantitative growth of the body. And we have scriptures to validate all of these. Statement of our objectives, overall objectives. The overall objective of the Calvary Bible Church shall be accomplished through the active, consistent, and prayerful ministry of the spiritual leadership of the church by providing adequate opportunities for members of the body to, first of all, personally and corporately encounter the triune God through meaningful worship experiences in an atmosphere of acceptance, belonging, and spiritual freedom, so as to provide for developing and expressing personal worship in prayer, songs of praise, adoration, admonition, and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, and in celebration of the Lord's Supper, doing of good deeds, ministering of spiritual gifts, and joyfully giving of financial resources. Please remember that one. Objective number two. To personally and corporately encounter the word of God through effective expository teaching by spiritually qualified individuals who stand for the historic fundamental truth of the Bible and who through the Bible equip the saints for service for the building up of the body of Christ, foster unity of doctrine and fellowship, lead to increasing knowledge of the Son of God, to spiritual maturity measured by the stature of the fullness of Christ, and for protection against the deceitful scheming of Satan. Objective number three, to personally and corporately encounter the people of God through meaningful fellowship experiences, through which spiritual gifts might be mutually shared and love for one another demonstrated in a practical manner, so as to encourage 
one another to love and good deeds. Objective number four, to personally and corporately encounter unbelievers through meaningful evangelistic missions, opportunities, and passionate social outreach. Please note that one. Passionate social outreach. Now, we give you a statement of a vision. Calvary Bible Church exists to glorify God through a passionate ministry, which includes, but not intended, not limited to, worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, notice this one, and social outreach. We are committed to achieving the highest quality of our ministry, of maturing and equipping unbelievers for the ministry, and some for leadership, so as to effectively impact the Bahamas as well as the world. All for the glory of God alone. We will seek to respond with relevance to the needs of the people. Notice this one. We will seek to respond with relevance to the needs of the people of the Bahamas. Notice this with the compassion. With the compassion of Jesus Christ. As a result of our love for the triune God. In other words, as the outworking of God's love in our life. That we reach out lovingly to others. We will seek with loving care to restore to all people the home we minister, but especially to the people of the Bahamas, the hope that is in Christ as an extension and manifestation of the loving church community we experience as the members of Calvary Bible Church. In other words, all we're trying to do is share what we have in Christ with others. If we don't rejoice here, we're not going to rejoice out there. If we're not happy here with the people we have, we're not going to be happy out there. It's just a matter of of demonstrating what we're receiving here. We will, through faith, seek to reproduce in others the work of Christ, that the work Christ is performing to our personal and collective lives as disciples of Christ, so that together we might grow toward and in spiritual maturity. And so here's how we look at a statement of commitment for me personally and as a body of Christ. If we do not unite in our vision, we will fail in our mission. In other words, if you don't see the purpose for the church, we see it. We're going to fail. Because everybody's going to be trying to do their own thing. Going all over the place, rather than a united goal. The supreme mission of the church, and so also of every individual believer, is to glorify God and to serve him forever. Therefore, if what we do as a church or as individuals cannot serve the glory of God, it will not and should not be done. Here is we phrase the mandate of the church. We are to lovingly and dynamically represent Jesus Christ in completing his ministry of spiritual redemption, spiritual perfecting, and notice this one, social compassion. Toward all people until he returns. And so I ask you to this point do you see what I see from the Word? Is your vision the same? Can you, will you say, we see a passionately worshiping, learning, loving, caring, serving family whose only reason for living is to glorify God? Do you see what I see? Now, we have set out purposely to accomplish these purposes, these goals, and these objectives. Many people who look at this say, boy, wonderful, looks good. Everything we do is directed from the pastoral level intentionally to achieve these goals, purposes, and objectives. We eliminate anything we can that distract or take away from them. The idea being, the church has a unique mandate in the world. No one else can fill it but the church. Therefore, we should be focusing on those things that the church and the church alone can do, rather than on things that other people can do without the spiritual impact. But now, if you were observant, and I know that you were and you are, because you are so, you just so, everybody just hangs on to every word and listens. But if you were observant as we hurriedly surveyed these 
polls and purposes and objections and so on, you would have seen right away that we have not been focusing the same energy, resources, both financially and personnel-wise, in a certain area. Let me draw your attention to it more specifically in objective number four. It's mentioned throughout, but this one. Objective number four. To personally and corporately encounter unbelievers through meaningful evangelistic or missions opportunities. Notice this phrase, and passionate social outreach. Passionate social outreach. We have sinned in this area. I have. We have, generally speaking, failed to concentrate in this aspect of our ministry as we should. Oh yes, we have some. Operation in as much. Wonderful work. Care kitchen. Wonderful work. We give financially to needs. Wonderful. But that's just on peripheral as to what we can really do. And should do. And so I say it is in this area. Having to do with our showing compassion and care for the poor in our immediate neighborhood that we have failed. We have based our purposes, goals, and objectives upon those of Jesus Christ. Every one of the things that we've gone through, we can go back to the scriptures and see that Jesus Christ himself, not just the apostle, but himself was involved in them. Because that's where they come from. Because we take the concept that we're here to continue the ministry begun by Jesus Christ. His mission is now ours, our mission. Notice then, with this in mind, the mandate that he received from his father. Luke chapter 4. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Did you see that? That's a mandate Jesus had. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. The idea is oppressed because of poverty, both spiritually and materially speaking. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I want you to notice. To preach the gospel to the poor. Now we have a tremendous ministry. As far as proclaiming is concerned. Preaching the gospel over the radio. Over these pulpits and everything else in the Sunday school class. Some say we are preaching to the poor. But you say, I think the kind of preaching we're talking about here is not much so verbally as it is practically or pragmatically. As an old saint said before, he says, whatever you do, preach the gospel. Even if you have to preach it sometime, verbally. In other words, the emphasis should be on what we do, how we live, how we show Christ's likeness. And so I would like to say here this morning that if we are as a church to be faithful in continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ, we must do what he did and reach out to the poor more than we have been doing. Listen to his brother, half-brother. James, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this, pure and undefiled, free of hypocrisy, free of pretense, to visit orphans and widows in the distress 
and to keep oneself unstained by the world. God ties this idea of caring for the oppressed, the poor, with justice. He ties oppression and justice and genuine worship together in the Word. You see, some of us think we can have an experience of genuine worship and do not show compassion to the poor. The Bible says that's not true. Listen to the word of God from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. We'll have it all on the screen because I want you to see it. In this passage, God ushers or issues a demand to the prophet to expose his people's sin. It's a demand by God to do it. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. I mean, how much more can one say? This, I want you to shout this. I want you to proclaim this. I want you to placard this. Declare to my people their transgression under the house of Jacob their sins. That's a command to the prophet by God. Let the people know that they sinned, how they sinned, and where they sinned. This is what God pierced me with, his word. Because I was guilty here. And I thank God for that passage in 1 John about if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. I thank God for that. Otherwise, right now, I'd be groveling under the table someplace or trying to do penance. Command the prophet to cry out and confront his people for their sin. My friends, we must do the same today when it comes to this particular area. The call goes out first to me, personally. And I receive that. And I will sin if I don't follow through. Not only though to give the call, but to heed it as well. Because it starts with me. It starts in this case with the prophet. That's the command. That's why I have no apology this morning for this message. I'm being true. What I believe is God's word to me. Some of you might not like it. I can't help that. I have to follow where I believe God is leading me. He then explains the sin of the people. He describes it. And in a nutshell, the hypocrisy in worship. Hypocrisy in worship. Listen. They seek me day by day. And delight to know my ways. As a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nailers of God. Doesn't that sound good? Outwardly, these people look like, boy, anointed, spirit-filled. Outwardly, they seem eager to know God. Outwardly, they seem eager to be close to God, to hear from Him. They really looked like they were worshipping God, going through all of the motions outwardly. But yet God says, you hypocrites. And what you're doing is just pious arrogance. That's all it is. They have deceived themselves. The passage we read in First John this morning, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We don't deceive others. These people were self-deceived. Listen to the word of God. Verse 3. This is the people now doing all of this stuff. Worship service, fasting, giving, tithing, all of that. But God does not hear their prayer. God doesn't hear them. 
So they ask, why have we fasted and you do not see? Don't you see what you're doing? Because this is my day of fasting, God. You know that day after Wednesday? That's my day of fasting. I get up 6 o'clock to go to prayer meeting. Didn't you see that? Why have we humbled ourselves before you? And you haven't seen it. You haven't noticed it. Don't you see what I'm doing? They actually are blaming God for being indifferent to their hypocritical worship because he did not respond to that kind of worship. We've done our part. We've attended the worship services. We've paid all our dues, our tithes. But God, you haven't paid us back. You see, that's the argument. Lord, I'm doing all of this for what purpose? So you could give back to me. Do you serve God like that with that idea? If I don't do this, God won't do that. If I don't pay my tithe today, God will never bless me again. They complained that God was not seeing or regarding what they were doing. In fact, in spite of what they were doing. That's what they complained to God for. Now look at God's response. Verse 3. Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your own desire. And you drive hard all your workers. This one almost seems as written for the Bahamas. God says, are you kidding me? Do you expect me to receive your worship and offerings when on the very day that you do these things, you still go out to fulfill your own desire? In fact, fulfilling your own desire while doing it? Self-gratification? But yes, you say you're worshipping me? And you're only doing it for yourself, what you're getting out of it? You come this time and worship, so hey, hey, boy, that was good today. We laugh, everybody was really hype, hype, hype. Never wonder whether God received it or not. Because we weren't doing it for God. Doing it for ourselves. Self-gratification. In this case, even to the point of taking advantage of the employees. Maybe making them work on the Lord's day and they cannot come to worship service. Or making them do things that you should be doing. So God is saying, do you think you can pull the wool over my eyes or buy me off by going through all of these motions while your heart is really not on me but on yourself? You, you think you can buy me off? Why be in the church twice this month? Oh, that must be enough to let me go do all these other things I want to do. In and in and twice. When you come to the boy, I've done it. Now I'm free to do what I want to do. Dr. Woolward, one of my theology professors in seminary, says this in his in his commentary. Quote The Lord responded by pointing out that he was more interested in their obedience than their rituals. See, for many people today, coming to church is a ritual. Not response to obedience, but just a rote going through the going through the rituals. Going back to Dr. Volwood, unfortunately, they, like many people, had confused rituals with relationship. Outward acts with true obedience. End of quote. Confuse rituals with relationship. Attend the church services. Go to Sunday school class. I must be close to God. Notice what God says in verse 4. Behold you fast for contention and strife. Notice now. Fasting. Worshipping. For contention and strife. And to strike with a wicked fist. You use the very act of worship. Against people you don't like. People who die with me. I like what he say. I like what he do. So I ain't coming to church. That's what they're getting at me. 
or the preacher. I can do this, I can do that. Because if I do that here, then he can get... God says, hey, you using worship as a weapon. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. In other words, their worship made no difference whatsoever to their relationship with other people. It made no difference at all. They're still mad at the brother and the sister. They still won't forgive. They still backbite. But they still come out to worship. And they think God will see it. God says, I see that. I blind when it comes to that kind of thing. They exploited their employees and perhaps their employees as well. And yet they come out to worship. Now, it says here about exploiting employees. But yet they come out to worship and think God is going to receive their worship. God said, no, 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 no way. That's oppression. They fought one another tooth and nail, crawling. Even when they worship, they come in the church and they talk bad mouth about other people. They gossip while they're waiting for the church service to start. And in fact, because they sit way in the back when it has to start, they still continue to talk in the back biting. But they're worshiping. Because they're there. They were fasting and worshiping with their heads. But not with their hearts. You see, contrary to Frank Sinatra, they were worshiping their way, not God's way. And so God wouldn't hear or see what they were doing because they're doing it their way, not God's way. Now look at verse 5. God is still speaking now. Is it a fast like this which I choose? Of course, the implication of course not. A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed? In other words, you know, you come, I pray him. But you just wonder, boy, wonder if I got a pass in today. I don't want to see him today, you know. Maybe I keep my head down and you can see me. And for spreading our sackcloth and ashes as a bed, showing all kinds of remorse, pious, Holiness, I call it. Will you call this fast an acceptable day to the Lord? God is saying, you must be joking. Who do you think I am? you think I'm some sort of fool? Their postures were right. They were going to the right, what do you call it, genuflecting. Doing all the right things. But their heart wasn't there. They're doing it for themselves, not God. Amos, the prophet, says that God actually gets angry towards his people who simply go through the motions and have no regard for justice toward the poor. You can see how he ties justice and worship and oppression together. Notice what Amos says, or rather, what God says through Amos. Chapter 5, verse 21. I hate this God now. You know, we like to talk about God hates divorce. We like that, eh? But here's something else God hates. I hate. I reject your festivals. That's in the context of when you're doing it your way, your worship. I hate. I reject your festivals. Nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. You know, when we come to pray and let's cry before God and all of that, but our hearts are not there. God says, I hate it. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Isn't that something? I won't accept them. You can't buy me. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Woo! Praise theme, mass choir and all that. All through the motion, but you're only doing it for you to show how good you could sing. Take them away. I'm not listening to them. I'm not even seeing them. I will not even listen to the sound of your hearts. Now notice this. Here it is. 
This is where their guilt came in. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The justice in the context has to do with regard for the poor and not oppressing those who are less fortunate than you are. It says, let it roll down. Justice, taking care of the poor, showing compassion. We'll see that in a moment. When we do this, the righteousness that pleases God rolls down, flows down like an ever-flowing stream. Beautiful words. Verse 24 emphasizes the need for the believer's worship to be backed up by showing justice toward the poor like an ever-flowing stream. How we treat the poor is intricately tied up to the purity of our worship. Let's get back to Isaiah now, verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose? God is going to tell them, this is what I'm looking for. Here is the fast, here is the worship, here is the spiritual offering that I will accept from you as spiritual priests. To loosen the bonds of wickedness. Sounds like Jesus Christ. To undo the bands of the yoke. Sounds like our Savior. To let the oppressed go free. Sounds like Jesus Christ. And break every yoke. That's the kind of worship he'll receive. God is saying that genuine, acceptable worship is worship that is both the response to and the result of obedience to him and to his word. Listen to Dr. Walbert once again. Quote, The Lord reminded the people that they should be just and open-handed with those in need and the hungry, the poor, and the naked. That's what God is doing here. And he was saying that because these people were not showing this kind of a compassion, their worship was meaningless. Listen to verse 7. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? This is what God wants now. This is, he says, this is genuine worship. This is righteousness. This is being just. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? That means share your bread. And bring the homeless poor into the house, food, housing. When you see the naked to cover them, clothing. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Man, this is so convicting to me, I wanted to tear the page out of the Bible. Dr. Howard Hendricks used to say when he came to the point, he said, let's hurry on, man, it's too convicting. He said, I want you to care for the poor and for the needy. Food, shelter, clothing, all needed by the unfortunate. But yet they, like you, are made in the image of God. I have one more quote I want to share with you because I want to show you this is not just something I'm making up here. Dr. Warren Risby, many of you know him. Quote, if in my religious duties I am doing what pleases me, and if doing it does not make me a better person, then I am wasting my time and my worship is only sin. Fasting and fighting do not go together. Yet how many families walk piously out of church at the close of a Sunday worship service, get into the family car and proceed to argue with each other all the way home. True fasting will lead to humility before God and ministry to others. We deprive ourselves so that we might share with others and do so to the glory of God. If we fast in order to get something for ourselves from God, instead of to become better people for the sake of others, then we have missed the meaning of worship. It delights the Lord when we delight in him. Verse 8. Your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring, for will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your God. Now, this is the result of worshiping the way God wants us by reaching out to the poor. In other words, when our worship is accompanied and motivated by caring for the poor, God says he will do some things here. First, he will bless us. Light is always a symbol of blessing in the word. He will bring about spiritual restoration. He will give us a testimony of integrity and justice before men. 
He will be our divine protector, our divine bodyguard, if you will, to keep us from danger. But that's not all. He says in verse 9, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, Here I am. Isn't that beautiful? But Lord, when we cry out to the Lord, when we're in the right spiritual condition, is there any If you remove the yoke from your midst, if you remove the yoke from your midst, and the context is the yoke that prevents God's blessing, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. In other words, he says, God will hear and answer our prayer, but it all depends on whether or not we will remove the yoke of hypocrisy, the failure to help the poor, and stop murmuring and gossiping and mudslinging and slandering. That's the yoke that keeps God's blessing away from us. William MacDonald says this, God wants to fast that is accompanied by the loosing of the shackles of of wickedness, lifting the yoke of oppression, feeding the hungry, providing shelter for the poor, clothing the naked and helping the needy neighbor. Those who practice social justice are assured of guidance, healing and protected escort. End of quote. All of that has to do with being sure that justice is a strong part of our worship experience. But something else, God now brings out our responsibility toward the poor to the forefront of our sins against him. Listen to verse 10. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. In other words, this is a strong call for believers to lift the oppression of the poor, the hungry and neglected citizens of our land, and especially in our own neighborhood. Notice how our spiritual welfare is intimately connected to how we care for the poor. This is what gripped my soul these past weeks. Failure to obey God's commands to care for the poor is the bottleneck to receiving the full blessings of God upon us, both as individuals and as a church. Listen to God's promise again for worshiping him with a pure heart and caring for the poor with compassion of his heart. Verse 11. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. And give strength to your bones. Boy, how I need that. And you will be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's a beautiful picture of someone who is obeying God when it comes to administering justice toward the poor. Do you need that? I know I do. Do we need this as a church? I believe that we do. Verse 12. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Those who live this kind of a life. Those who reach out to the poor in this way and have a clean heart when it comes to worship. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Remember we talked about rebuilding the foundations? Here is a key. You will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which we dwell. Isn't that great? Rebuild the foundations, restore all the things that were broken, close up the breach. You will be a restorer of the streets in which we dwell. That is what pricked my soul. What street? Does Calvary Bible Church dwell in? To restore the streets in which you dwell. Let me ask you. For us as a church, where are these streets? What are they? What streets do we dwell in? What streets is it, are in our immediate dwelling area? That are characterized by poverty. What streets in our area in which we dwell are characterized by neglect and even the victims of oppression? 
put streets. Well, in case you don't know, here they are. I believe that this is our ground zero for letting justice flow down and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream toward the poor right here. This area is bounded on the east by Collins Avenue, on the south by Gibbs Corner, on the west by East Street, and on the north by Mason Addition or Mason Street, whatever it is. I drove through it the other day. I am convinced, beloved, that God's desire for us is to bring some sunlight in these darkened areas. And until we do, we will not experience the full blessings and power of God in our midst as a church here on Collins Avenue. I believe we have sinned against the people in our community. Here again what God demands. Micah 6, with what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearning, yearling cost? The, the implication is no. Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? That implicate, no, 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 Notice what he says. He has told you, O people of Calvary Bible Church, what is good. And what does the Lord require of the members of the incredible body of Christ in Calvary Bible Church? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Based on this, I present to you this morning... To make a challenge. I want to initiate. I'd like for us to initiate the first stage of what I'm calling. Might change it from input. Project Micah. It's taken off. Taken up from the Micah ministry that's going on across the world. I'll talk about that later. But I want to initiate the first stage of Project Micah on December the 20th. Anybody got any jobs out there? Because now what I'm going to suggest, I'm going to get fired for. I'm going to ask each member of Calvary Bible Church and regular tender to fill a handbag with food items, clothing, or toys. And if all goes well, we might give you these bags ourselves, so it'll be all alike. If not, you get to buy it yourself. We put a gospel track in his bag. We will meet here at 11 a.m. Sunday morning, December the 20th, as usual. However, this is where the heretical aspect comes in. After half hour of prayer and praise, then all of us will leave this building and we'll walk or drive through our ground zero. Everybody, even children. And take these bags into the homes. Don't give it out to people on the streets. The idea is not to share the gospel with them at this time. Unless, of course, God leads otherwise. A plan for doing this will be shared later in another thing that we're developing here. Because the plan is eventually to have our folk come right in here and share their needs in the community themselves so we would know how to meet it objectively. We're going to be sure that we have enough men in strategic places and also being sure that the ladies are protected and so on. All that will be arranged, so don't worry about that part of it. When you arrive at the house, as I said, we're not going to encourage you to give anything out in the streets. And upon your arrival at a home, you will knock at the door if necessary. It might be on the porch. And simply make a statement along these lines. It doesn't have to be like this. But just to give you some idea of what we're trying to do in this introductory initial stage. Good morning. I'm a member of the incredible body of Christ at Calvary Bible Church on Collins Avenue. 
We would like to wish you a happy and blessed Christmas and give you this small gift as a token of our loving concern for you in Jesus' name. That's all. And then walk away. Unless they hold you. You only prolong the conversation with somebody if they encourage it. Otherwise, simply walk away. That's our initial contact. We come back here by 12.15 or so for a time of thanksgiving and praise and evaluation. That's my micro challenge to you. Now, whether you do it or not, I certainly am going to be doing something myself in this area. Calvary people, I believe it all my heart. That's the bottleneck the fullness of blessing for us. We have neglected it too long. And I believe that every member Calvary should go home or wherever and ask God's forgiveness for the neglect. And then commit ourselves to removing this bottleneck so that justice and compassion could roll down like an ever, never-ending river. Will you join me? That's my question. We'll give you more information. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Now, I could do all kinds of emotional things, how you walk down the aisle, raise on, all that. I'm not going to do that. This is between you and God, not between you and me. But we'll be talking more, but I want you to be praying for this, that God will give us wisdom as exactly how to do it. And that God will work in the hearts of his people to respond so this community could see that we have a compassion like that of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. We pray now for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Help us to respond to your word in keeping with the Spirit's work in our life. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our lack of compassion to this community. Help us now, Father, to do better. And all God's people said, Amen.